Hey, we're on. Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. We've got a beautiful sunny day, and uh, we're so glad you could join us. Uh, just a few announcements before we start our worship service, and uh, we'll have uh, some music going for us. Um, just to let you know, Wednesdays at 6 o'clock, we're still having an evening service. Shane will be here leading that, and we'll have uh, a guest. I'm not even sure who it is. This Oh, it will be Travis. So is Shane not at that service? Okay, all right. So I've got that one wrong. Travis will be doing the service on Wednesday, which will still be a great service. So please dial in. That's at 6 o'clock. I keep saying, saying dial in. Um, <laughs> you find that service on Facebook, on our Liberty Lake Church app, on Vimeo, uh, the Liberty Lake Church website, or on YouTube. Um, we also, uh, Shane is doing a 10 o'clock a.m. daily um, devotional that he calls Coffee with Shane, and that's weekday mornings at 10 o'clock. That is only available on the Liberty Lake Church uh, Facebook page, and it's a live stream, so join him there. Um, we also want to thank you all so much for all the, uh, the generosity of this congregation for the food bank. Um, we're finding out that right now we have lots of food. So um, for the time being, uh, there's no need to, to bring more. Uh, Julie will put out uh, the word to everybody if we need more. And uh, we, again, thank you so much for, for meeting those needs. And uh, finally, we have youth group on Sunday nights at 530. And that is going to be done via Zoom. And uh, Travis is hosting that. Uh, if you want to be a part of that and are not, uh, don't have the invite, uh, contact Travis and he can get you going on that. So, all right, with that, let's, uh, let's worship. All right, won't you join us for From the Day?
some various technical difficulties. <laughs> so bear with us. Let's go on to uh, You Are My Vision.
right. Thank you, Travis. A um, couple of things that I just failed to mention at the beginning of this because we're doing things differently and I'm just not used to it. Uh, my name is Gary Baker. I'm one of the elders here at the church. I'm taking Shane's uh, place this morning. Pastor Shane has got uh, the day off to uh, to relax and recharge a little bit. Um, I'm joined by Alan Omer, and uh, we're going to be looking at some scripture and and talking um, about it and hopefully um, bringing some insights. Uh, I also want to mention that one of the things that we're uh, trying to do as a church is is maintain connection, and um, that's hard to do in this time of uh, the, the quarantining and uh, and trying to to do the the social distancing thing. So uh, we really need to know as a church if uh, if there are members of the body out there uh, or people that you know uh, that need help, and if there are needs that we're not aware of, please uh, get hold of the church office. Uh, call Julie call Pastor Shane uh, at the office, and um, we can try to mobilize some resources to uh, to make sure that folks are not being left out and are getting the help that they need. Uh, we would also like to have you email uh, your stories about how you see God working in all of this. Uh, those are, uh, we haven't received any that I've been made aware of for this week to uh, to share with you, but as we get those in, we will uh, share those on our uh, Sunday morning services and uh, we'd really like to see that so with that uh, we'll get into the word and uh, I always like to start anytime that uh, I'm I'm doing I guess this isn't exactly a sermon but I always like to start with Psalm uh, 19 and the words of David uh, when he said um, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right. So um, Shane has been going through the book of, uh, of Mark. And we're this morning looking at uh, Mark chapter 10. And uh, we, we sort of, Alan and I met yesterday and we decided that what we were looking at might be a little bit big to, to cover today. So we, we trimmed it just a little bit. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10, verses 17. And uh, we're going to stop after verse 27. 27. 27, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so as you look at your slides when they come up, you might see that it says Mark 17, 12, 17, or 10, 17 through 31. But we're not going to go quite that far today. But let's, uh, let's look at that scripture. If you have your Bibles out, we're in the book of uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Oh, there's just so much there. Um, I think that just to put things in context, it's important to know that uh, Jesus has started his dr- journey to Jerusalem at this yes. point, and uh, he knows that what is waiting for him mm-hmm. is uh, first a triumphal entry, but then uh, an arrest and, and the cross. And uh, he has this man come up to him and, and start uh, asking him questions that... Uh, sort of indicate a little bit of a, a spiritual lacking, I think. Um, when we look at the, uh, the description that's given of this man, uh, it's interesting to note this story actually appears in um, three Gospels. Yes. It appears in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John. Luke. Luke, sorry, thank yes, you. Yes, <laughs> you're okay. <laughs> um, we're given only a description in this Gospel, in, in uh, Mark's Gospel, uh, at first, he just says a man. He tells us later that the man has great wealth. Um, Matthew describes him as a rich young man. Yes. And Luke describes him as a ruler, a rich ruler. So uh, we don't know much beyond that, but uh, we surmise that he may have been uh, uh, maybe a synagogue leader. Uh, he might have been a, a clan leader. We don't know what sort of ruler he may have been. Uh, certainly he wasn't real high in government because the Romans were in occupation. And uh, so he, he wasn't uh, on, the, on the level of a governor or a, you know, a, a high official. But he comes to Jesus and uh, he kneels before him. And um, I think we can see you know, a pretty fair um, estimation there that this man does respect Jesus. Uh, he's probably familiar with his teachings, and uh, he seems to be sincere. He calls him good teacher. He uh, uh, is subjugating, subjecting himself before him, subjugating. And uh, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, Alan and I were talking about this yesterday, that that word do, um, seems to be sort of a um, a red flag here. Um, well, go ahead well, it's go. certainly a key to his mindset that he has made the uh, assumption that activity in this life can make a difference for eternal life and that somehow whatever he does in this temporal setting is going to Right. make him or grant him an entrance into eternal life. Right. And so he's approaching Jesus with, what do I need to do? Um, so Jesus 
spells out some specifics for him. And then he makes the claim that he's done all of those things. Um, right. That's a little suspicious to start with because uh, he's young. Um, not saying young is bad, but he doesn't have a lot of life experience just yet, right. supposedly. And so to be able to say, I've never done any of these things that I should, shouldn't do. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, you, you got to wonder. It's interesting, too, that Jesus picks up on this title that the man gives him of being a good teacher. Uh, the rabbis of Jesus' day were not willing to allow people to refer to them as good because they, as Jesus states here, understood that the only one that is good is God. And so Jesus isn't saying, I'm not good. He's just calling into question whether this young man really understands who he's actually speaking to. The definition of good. He, he doesn't really perceive that Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. Uh, and so Jesus focuses on that to say, you need to understand that God is the only one that's good. Uh, and yet, even so, this young man tries to state that his own condition is relatively good. Right. Uh, all three Gospels bring that out, that, that he claims to be a, a moral person. I, I've kept these laws. Um, and uh, yet, Mark says here that you lack one thing, in the words of Jesus. Luke also uses that phrase. Jesus says, you lack one thing. Uh, it's interesting, in Matthew, Jesus says to the young man, if you want to be perfect, you need to go and you need to carry out this process of eliminating all of your possessions, selling them all, giving your money, the proceeds to the poor, yeah. and think, then come and follow me. Right. I think the, uh, the word the young man uses too, he says, what I must do to inherit. Yes. Um, that seems to uh, imply that he feels like he's already in a position of deserving what he's asking for. Um, an inheritance only comes if you're an heir. If you are yes. in the position of, of a son or a child and uh, you're just really, you're not worried so much about um, what you need to do to be the heir because you're already in that position. You're just sort of trying to say, how do I keep from messing this up? Sure. Uh, he, uh, he seems to have that attitude that he's um, got something that can be easily obtained for him because of his position uh, if he punches the right ticket. Um, well, and he may be assuming, as many Jews did, that because he is a descendant of Abraham, that he right. is naturally, uh, ethnically, an heir. Right. But he's coming at it from, um, from the, uh, the perspective of the law. Yes. Because that's what the Jews had to go by. Uh, they had been given the law in the wilderness, the Ten Commandments, and then over the years and generations, the, uh, the Pharisees had, and the scribes had added to that many, many requirements 
and uh, they were all aware that they uh, did not have, they, the humans, did not have that good um, quality, that, that they were not worthy. But they were taught by the uh, the church of the day that they could earn that by keeping the commandments. Mm-hmm. And that was also why they had this sacrificial system was so that they could offer a blood sacrifice to God to atone for their sins up yeah. to that point. But of course, the minute they walked out of the temple, uh, they were back to being um, in that condition. And so you see, I think, also a a sense of um, maybe a little bit of a spiritual uh, feeling of being lost, a sense of um, he knows he needs something. He knows that he is not able to to do all this. And um, he's, he's relying on a system of human works that would always leave you wondering. You know, mm-hmm. have I done enough? Mm-hmm. And like you, like you said, Jesus says, none is good except God alone. Um, and I think Jesus is trying to convey that to the, the man that only God can save him. Mm-hmm. That it's not something that he can do um, on his own. Um, and I, it's, it's a little ironic at this point, too, that at the time this is happening, Jesus is on his way. To Jerusalem, where he knows that he is going to do, um, perform the ultimate sacrifice yes. that could save this man if yes. he believes in him, mm-hmm. and uh, yet here this this guy is just here to um, to get it quickly and easily when Jesus is on his way to suffer horribly for it. Mm. Um, so Jesus goes to the law, and uh, because that's where the man comes from, uh, and he says, "You know the commandments." And he lists some of them. He says, do not murder, that's commandment six. Do not commit adultery is seven. Do not steal is eight. Do not bear false witness is nine. Um, Do not defraud. I I think that he might actually be kind of including that in in nine, or he might be looking at number 10, which is uh, do not covet. But um, we talked about this yesterday, that whole idea of coveting sort of lines up with a, with idolatry as well. So um, I kind of feel like he's just adding that in there as sort of the 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 bearing false witness. Um, and honor your father and mother, which is uh, commandment number five. And to those things, the young man says, well, teacher, I've done all this. Mm-hmm. But look what he's not including. He's not including... Uh, the first four commandments, no other gods before me, no idols, no carved images or likeness of anything. Um, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then commandment 10, it says do not covet. Yes. Um, coveting would be something that could be um, a, a desire that could become an idol that would take you away from God's presence. Mm-hmm. So those are all commandments that um, deal with our relationship with God, that deal with our holding God first in our life. And um, when he says that he's kept um, the commandments that Jesus listed, those are the ones that really were easy to keep for a rich young man who had power and position. Um, and like you said, he didn't say he kept the first four. Mm-hmm. Um, partially maybe because uh, Jesus didn't list them, but 
also, I'm not sure that those were commandments that he uh, really felt to be a part of his life. Um, doesn't seem to be. He doesn't uh, address that. He He's looking with his initial question specifically at eternal life. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mention uh, a connection to God. He just mentions uh, the the eternal life, the what's going to happen to me afterwards, not who am I going to be with right. or, or which place am I going to be in, just the eternal life aspect of it. Um, and certainly the, the relationship to God is first and foremost. Um, I think you mentioned earlier this morning when we were discussing a, a text later yeah, yeah. in Mark where um, uh, it's spelled out the the two most significant commandments yeah. the first if of you've which, got your bibles handy uh what alan's talking about open up to mark um, a little farther on mark chapter 12 uh, verses 28 through 34 let me read that scripture uh, alan and then uh, we can continue with that i closed my bible so i've got to, <laughs> i've got to find that passage again sorry so it's uh, mark chapter 12 starting in verse 28. Uh, leading up to this, Jesus has been in a debate with some of the Pharisees. And uh, as uh, usual, uh, when he was in debate with the Pharisees, the Pharisees didn't come out on the, the good end of that. And um, so starting in verse 28, it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him which commandment is the most important of all. Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Yeah, and this really is key to this context of this rich young ruler coming to Jesus. He's looking for the the, the thing that he must do, and and apparently part of what he's missing out on is what kind of person does he need to be. Exactly. It isn't simply an activity that's going to ensure his entrance into eternal life. There's more to it than that. And that's where Jesus points out to him, there's, there's this, this one thing you lack. Or as he says in, to him in, in Matthew's text, uh, if you want to be perfect, there's, there's something that's in the way of your being perfect. And that's this matter of your possessions, which uh, Mark and, and Matthew both mention. Luke says that the young man was extremely rich. So there's a matter of possessions and apparently money, right? which makes him extremely rich. And in the eyes of Jews of that day, people who were wealthy were wealthy because they were blessed specifically by God. 
And so th- this young man certainly must have taken that into consideration. That, they like that prosperity gospel. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm rich because God has blessed me. But what do I need to do in addition to what I already have to ensure entrance into eternal life? And when Jesus turns the tables on him and says, well, by the way, if you get rid of all that stuff and come and follow me, then you will Right. You overcome what you're lacking, or you will, in fact, be perfect. Right. Uh, and the the poor young guy, uh, it says he goes away sorrowful. Uh, the the Greek rendition of that uses a word which has to do with an approaching or impending storm. It's literally the idea that the the skies were lowering on him, or he was entering into a, a gloom. He was so distraught with this idea of having to do away with his possessions and his wealth. Um, Gary and I were discussing yesterday, and it's kind of like Jesus calling him to a unique type of social distancing. This young man is used to a, a lifestyle and a social circle that he would have to lose if he sold all of his possessions and came and followed Jesus, he would be in a unique position and he, he couldn't fathom being able to do that. And so he becomes very sorrowful, becomes very downcast about the whole process. Right. I think he's, uh, he misses also the fact that um, those first four commandments tell us that God is the number one thing. And, Absolutely. uh, we are to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our being. And um, that is, um, is something that I think, you know, a lot of folks will say, well, I do love God. But Jesus told the, the uh, disciples that the measure of that, whether you actually do uh, show that love, is by keeping the commandments. Not just some of them, mm-hmm. but all of them. And... Um, we can, uh, if we look at, and I think we've got slides on this one. Uh, so if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen in uh, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. This is Jesus is talking to his disciples. And uh, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, 
and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Um, pretty, pretty clear there that Jesus is, is laying out that um, love of God and obedience of his commandments is a whole lot more important than the wealth and the, uh, the entrapments that we find all around us. But the things that are so easy um, for us to get sucked into. Yes. Um, and, and I mean, that's, it's something that we all, we all have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be money. It could be power. It could be position. Um, for some people, it uh, is just a matter of uh, getting so distracted by the things around them and relying on themselves that they sort of forget sure. who's really in charge. Um, yeah. Sometimes so, it's worry. Sometimes it's fear. Right. Sometimes it's uncertainty of what's going to happen to me. Uh, other times it's, you know, my ability to accomplish things or do things uh, will get me through. Yeah. And, and Jesus, when he tells this young man, he says, I, I just thought it's great. He is obviously not quite in the right place. Mm-hmm. But Jesus looked at him and loved him. It doesn't say that he uh, disdained him, that he rebuked him, that he scolded him. It says he loved him. Mm-hmm. And he wanted so much to try to get him to see what it really was um, that was important in life. Yes. Um, he, Jesus knew the man's heart, mm-hmm. and he knew he wasn't willing to give up those idols um, that he had. And uh, you had a, a reading in another, uh, uh, yes, this book here, Adam, um, oh. Alan, that I thought was really, really cool. Um, yeah, this is a book uh, by Dr. Paul David Tripp, simply entitled Awe. Uh, the subtitle is Why Awe Matters for Everything We Think, Say, and Do. And what he's uh, arguing for in this book is that we as sinful people have lost our awe of God and we've replaced it with other things. He says the problem is that all sinners replace God with something else. It is as natural and intuitive to us as breathing. When we put ourselves in the center of the story, not only do we become rebels against God, we become a danger to ourselves and others. And since we are our greatest problem, we are left powerless to help ourselves. To push further, if this universal awe replacement is our problem, then it is the height of theological absurdity to think that the law can deliver us. What set of rules can decimate our bondage to ourselves or our tendency to put the creation where only the Creator should be? What set of laws can return our wonder? amazement, worship, and awe. The law can reveal how much you have put yourself in the center of the story, but it has no power 
to put God back in his rightful place in your heart. We are confronted with the utter foolishness of repeatedly asking the law to do what only grace can accomplish. So we know um, we know from Romans, and, and I'm going to go through this a little bit, um, and that's sort of what I think is, is the real crux of the, um, the issue here, is the law versus the grace that is available to us, the forgiveness that's available to us um, because of what Jesus did for us. And um, I'm going to go just real quickly, but I want to let you know um, or encourage you, uh, read the book of Romans to get a really good description. Paul just lays it out so well about the, the problems with trying to follow the law and what we can run into. And I'm just going to hit some real highlights here, but you know, so I'll, uh, if you want to get your Bibles out and follow along, I'm going to touch just a couple of verses in several different chapters as we go through here. We're going to start with Romans chapter 3 in verse 21. I'll give you just a second here. And Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So Paul tells us, right up front that we've all sinned we're all short of of being good enough to be in god's presence and that the righteousness of god is not there through the law but through something else moving on to chapter 4 and verse 13 paul says for the promise to abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So Paul's making the the case here that because of the gift of salvation that Jesus brings us, we're no longer able to look at the law as saving us. Uh, the law can't do it. And he also points out, now going to chapter 5 in verse 8, that he says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Abraham and uh, his descendants up to the time of Jesus coming had available to them that righteousness in Christ because when Jesus came and died for them he died for those who were still sinners he didn't die just for those who had already accepted him um, moving on to chapter 8 verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So God never did say, you don't have to obey the law. The law is still the ultimate measure of righteousness. What he did say was, I know you can't attain this. I know that you and your fleshly bodies and your lack of uh, spiritual perfection will never be good enough to enter into my presence. And the solution is sending my son to be the perfect sacrifice um, to take that to to take that unrighteousness away from you and offer you the gift of righteousness. So then in, in chapter 9, Paul sort of starts to wrap it up. He says in chap- verse 30, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people that the Jews looked on with disdain, Paul is saying, because they didn't, they never were taught the law. They didn't try to follow the law. Mm-hmm. But when they came to know Jesus, they still, they attained that righteousness through faith. And uh, the ones that were trying to achieve it through the pursuit of law, they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. It's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, just so important to, to get that concept that we are saved by free, by the gift of Jesus and not by our pursuit of works through the law. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I've actually been uh, using up more time than I thought here. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on. Um, let me just skip that and look to uh, verse 23. And um, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, this is after the man has left. He says, oh, I can't do this. I can't give up my wealth. Mm-hmm. And Jesus uh, said to the disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And then he said to them again, and this is important because he leaves out the wealth part. He says how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then he makes the statement, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And um, as this is another one of those where this can be a, a passage that's hard to uh, to digest if you just take it by its 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 words. Um, but I don't feel like like Jesus is really talking strictly about wealth. There are uh, places in the in the Bible where we see people that use wealth wisely, and uh, we talked about Lydia uh, that mm-hmm. that Paul ran into in um, in the book of Acts. She was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a very wealthy lady, and she used that wealth to advance the gospel. Um, 
But what Jesus is talking about is um, idols, those that have things that um, that keep them away from God and who rely on their own works to try to attain that. Mm-hmm. And um, the example that he uses is uh, one of the uh, the commentaries I read. I thought it had a great description of it. He said the biggest animal that anybody knew they were familiar they didn't with have it. elephants in uh, in the Middle East, so a camel was about the biggest thing that they could. You know, a camel's big enough that they have to kneel down to get on them. Mm-hmm. So they're bigger than a horse. And um, then he, he talks about that biggest object he can imagine going through the smallest opening, the eye of a needle that's mm-hmm. possible to have. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it, it just physically and uh, secularly, just totally impossible Not for it happen. to happen. And... Um, so then, of course, the the next question the disciples bring up is, "Well, then, who gets who in? Who can be saved? Who How can, can we be do saved? This? Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, I think that your uh, your book went on further to describe that a little bit, didn't it? When you were yeah, there's a little bit more from Doctor Tripp here. No human solution." can fix our replacement instincts and our replacement lifestyle. No set of rules will free us. No social or political insights will liberate us. We have met the enemy, and it is us. And because it is, we have no power to defeat it. We will forget God. We will replace him with something else. We will place ourselves at the center, and thus we will live driven and dissatisfied lives, self-centered and immoral in the deepest sense of both terms, and we will live as a danger to ourselves and others, because only when God is in his rightful place will we set ourselves and others in the appropriate place in our hearts. This is why Jesus had to come. The law was not enough. We needed a means by which God could forgive us for our awe thievery and a means by which God could free us from our self-slavery. And this means had to be exercised without compromising God's holy position and justice. That means was the Lord Jesus Christ. He came and lived perfectly so he could go to the cross as the spotless lamb. He died willingly, satisfying God's just requirement. He rose again, defeating the power of sin and death over us. And part of why Christ did all this was to give us back our awe, so that we would live for him once again and celebrate his awesome glory, not just now, but forever and ever. Yeah, amen. It's, uh, it's a very difficult thing, as illustrated by this, uh, this young man. He was offered a path to righteousness, and he considered that cost, and he said, I can't do it. Um, and I wonder, you know, how, how do we 
how do we struggle with that? Mm -hmm. Um, are there things in my life, in your life, all of our lives that we, we hold on to and we feel like we can't let go of? Um, there was a, 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 a pastor actually in, uh, in Germany in the 1930s named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Famous theologian wrote a book called um, The Cost of Discipleship. And reading his story is uh, really incredible, and I'll leave that to to folks to do it. Um, but in a nutshell, he was uh, he was a pastor in Germany at the time of the rise of Hitler, and he saw the atrocities that were happening and uh, decided that he couldn't be a part of that. He had to uh, to fight against that, and um, he was ultimately uh, hung by the Gestapo for his efforts in the resistance and uh, his uh, one of the things that they talked about was that he spent his last two years of life in prison ministering mm -hmm. to those that were also um, imprisoned by the Nazis. And uh, he, uh, he understood that concept of the cost of following Jesus. And uh, uh, let me see if I can find the, the book that he wrote was called, um, the cost of discipleship, and again, I would, I would encourage um, folks to look at that. Um, see if I can find the line of his book that I wanted to share with you. And I'm not finding it. Um, but he said something along the lines of, "The greatest danger to the church," and he's writing in the 30s, but it's still relevant today is the pursuit of cheap grace and the lack of understanding of the cost of following Jesus and what it meant when Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. So um, let's, um, I think we, we need to wrap this up. Can you uh, give us a, a prayer to, to leave with uh, Alan? And yes. then we'll let Travis take over. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God, we thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for this event in Jesus' life where he points out to this rich young ruler the significance of what it costs to be a disciple, what it means to follow, what it means to live, not only now but forever. And where there are things that are in the way, whether it's personal pride, personal accomplishment, uh, possessions, position, whatever it may be, it restricts a relationship with God that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we just pray that this morning you would challenge us by this truth for each of us individually and for all of your people as your church collectively that we would trust in Jesus each and every day and to recognize those things that stand in the way of trusting Him and that we would look to Him for the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the cleansing, and the restoration of relationship with You that only He can provide. We thank You for all You've done for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Won't you join us with 10,000 reasons?
Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, I just hope everybody can uh, can stay safe and healthy. 
We look forward to the time that we can worship together physically and gather as a body. I want to leave you this morning with the words uh, were written by R.C. Sproul. He said, we must all give up relying on our, effort, on our own efforts to earn salvation and instead embrace the grace that alone can redeem us from the curse of sin and death. Do you depend absolutely on the Lord for redemption? Think of the ways you have not loved God with your whole heart and confess your need of Him alone to save you. Have a great week, guys. And uh, again, I look forward to the time that we can gather together. God bless you.